Welcome to the real world. Welcome back. My name is Matt Waters. This is The Real World. Enter therealworld.com. I'm joined by Mike Thomas, who's going to tell me the name of this show that we're about to do and probably explain what it even is. So, Mike, firstly, how are you? I'm doing well, and welcome to the first edition of The Sky Scorchers. (sighs) Okay. I guess it's better than The Red Pills. So, we're doing The Matrix, I guess. Uh, Four episodes for now. One per film, and then sort of the Animatrix and some maybe some extra stuff, who knows. But our task today is to give an original thought about The Matrix, which is like almost 20 years old and has been just completely absorbed into the zeitgeist. It is protected in the National Registry. It has been parodied and copied. Every technique in it is used in every movie now. And yet, we are going to talk to you about it, because only our opinions matter. Well, I, I, I agree with mm. everything you just said, but at the same time, I do think it's being a little bit, like, forgotten. Really? I, I, I do. I think people, especially younger viewers, are being mm. conditioned more and more for things to be recycled on some level, <laughs> that anything that kind of just exists on its own in the past can quickly be forgotten well just you wait until they remake it with with michael b jordan but i i do think i think there was a time period where for instance like the first jurassic park would have meant something forever i do think there was a time period where like well i mean they re-released the first jurassic park in theaters and it made a shit ton of money didn't it yeah i know that's my point though it's like i think we're quickly rapidly getting to the point where things like that are not going to happen Mm. where if it's not, if there's not something current or something in the future to look forward to, things are going to be, I think, slowly forgotten. Like, I think something like Jaws, for instance. Like, mm. Jaws was a ET, cultural phenomenon. Like, and as a kid, like, people were still, like, conditioning to, for me to believe that these are very important movies, regardless, you know, there are any merits, issues, whatever, whatnot. Mm. But I don't think that's going to be happening. I feel like we're always looking to the future now and very little to the past, which, you know, carries with it some positive and negatives, I suppose. But I do, I do think this is a movie that tragically will be a little bit lost a little bit. We will see. Yeah, I I guess you're right. People don't, maybe it's just, it's just really taken for granted because just like everyone's seen it, everyone is... But there's no discovery with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's not like this family movie you could show to like your five year olds. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's a rated R. It's not a hard R. It's kind of it doesn't have R. one F word in it. That might be the only rated R film that doesn't have one F word. <laughs> it it feels like in the modern. I mean, I guess it's just the blood, really. It's not even that much of that. Like... Yeah, it. I mean, I know blood's a big thing with R. Like that's why with the Marvel movies, if Captain America kicks somebody through, like airplane turbine or whatever and the body just disappears as opposed Mm -hmm. to blood splattering everywhere yeah i think this i think a movie like this can will slowly be lost over time it won't be yeah it won't be this like cultural phenomenon Mm. forever that would be very sad i mean i don't really know where to go with this it you know it released march 31st 99 on a budget of 63 million dollars which is laughably small uh thanks to them filming in australia which I think it was going to be the most expensive film ever shot in America if they had shot it in America and then they moved it to Australia and boom, suddenly no money required whatsoever. Made 463.5 million. I feel if you release this film today, it would make like $2 billion or something because, you know, ticket sales have gone bananas in the last sort of two decades compared to when this came out. So, and I also think it probably made a ton on home video because, I mean, it came out obviously when I would have been 10 uh, not even quite 10 years old <laughs> when it came yeah, out I mean, in America. I, I first saw this uh, rented on VHS. So yeah, like it was, I was, it was, I was it, like, right in the prime of video rental. Yeah, I was like at a friend's house and he put it on in his kitchen. I was like, what the fuck is this? Like even, That opening scene with Trinity running over the rooftops, I was like, what am I watching and how do I like put it directly in my brain? It's ironic, given the plot. I, I find it crazy they made it for that little amount of money, given... The amount of special effects. I mean, you know, like Carrie Ann Moss was 
almost completely unknown. There's a lot of people in it who aren't really notable actors, so I'm sure they shaved a lot of money off there with the casting, compared to some of the people they wanted for some of these roles. But yeah, given how much special effects there are, shocking that it costs that little. But I mean, in the world of modern movies where every everything costs a hundred million, I guess I guess all that's sort of lost. And it still, you know, was considered quite an expensive movie at the time. But yeah, so written and directed by the Wachowskis, who you know before this they wrote Assassins, and then they wanted to make The Matrix, but they were told go direct something first and they made bound and then it's great yeah it really is and then that gets them the opportunity to do the matrix and it turns them into some of the biggest names in terms of directing like like household director names like they they were way up there for a long time and then you consider what they followed all this up with of like you know speed racer and cloud atlas and jupiter ascending i like sense8 but apparently that's not a popular opinion just a massive fucking phenomenon that like made every single major person in this a huge name for a while even if not all of them capitalized very well um or or followed it up with great stuff but i think basically the matrix allowed them to do whatever they wanted and they have been and they continue to do so (laughs) and hats off to the two of them yes and um you know we'll we'll talk about a couple more (laughs) which which films in the next two weeks Mm -hmm. that i think kind of touch on that they're doing whatever the fuck they want and making high art that is not intended for the stupid masses michael obviously um, um well I don't, even, <laughs> I don't even think they're attempting to do that no, i think I, they're just like i know i'm just they just do whatever they want and sometimes it works sometimes it doesn't i know yeah. people who like swear by speed racer i i mm. don't it was Literally, I feel there was, like, this groundswell, like, randomly two months ago of, like, everyone on Twitter talking about how amazing Speed Racer is. I was like, I threw it on Netflix. I'm like, this sucks. Mm. So, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand. I don't is, like... is Matthew Fox the lead in that? He's a co-lead. Uh, Emil uh, Hirsch. Uh, Emil Hirsch. Emil Hirsch. Is yeah. Okay. John Goodman is dressed like Mario oh, in the entire man. movie. And, you know, that's cool. But I'm, like, I'm down to clown I, with John Goodman whenever, so... Yeah, um, I definitely fucks with John Goodman. But yeah, I mean, I think this this movie feels very, very controlled compared to what would come afterwards. Well, that and, uh, that comes from how long they had been working on it. Like they yeah. they planned the hell out of it. Like there's so many anecdotes about how much work they had to do to get this green lit. Like they out of their own pocket, they paid uh, for a 600 page illustrated storyboard which is fucking unheard of and and lots of stuff like that like they had to really sell everyone on it and they've been honing it for a long time there's obviously a lot of influences they're pulling from which helps (laughs) like lots of anime particularly ghost in the shell lots of hong kong cinema obviously john woo movies lots of religion lots of philosophy lots of like literally the least original story on the planet i mean it's yes it's the odyssey <laughs> is the aeneid yes thousands of years later it's so it's not like i don't think anyone can pretend that it's really original much in any way no they, they took they the took some stuff they cool liked yeah they took some stuff they liked and they blended it in a way and then they did you know whether they truly invented stuff like bullet time or not is up for debate but you know the the execution and the way they blended these many separate elements together was excellent. I, I do think like it's it's a tremendously tight movie that moves along at a really, really good pace. There's enough sort of ex- exposition and sort of, here's what this is, to not make you completely lost, but not so much of it that like you just feel like you're being spoken to for the whole movie. And then the action scenes are obviously amazing. But I, I think the thing that sets it apart from the sequels is probably just how well it sort of moves along and sort of the kind of the tone it establishes like i think it opens really really strongly and sort of they 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 make some smart choices about where where these characters are when we meet them in their lives kind of stuff um and yeah they they take a lot of shortcuts i don't mean that in a negative way i mean that they expect a lot of the audience to just Mm -hmm. kind of accept things at face value they use pretty broad archetypes and put characters into them and like 
makes it pretty easier. Like, I mean, the Chosen One is not original. The Chosen One being an audience stand-in, so people could explain the rules of the universe that not original. Uh, <laughs> the girl who's going to, will she or won't she fall for the boy? Like, the, the wise old sage. Like, these are not original. <laughs> the sacrifice play. <laughs> yeah, these are not original ideas. The traitor among the group. <laughs> it's really just about the execution. Yeah. And it's it's about a tight as fuck script. It's about cool as fuck action. It just really just comes down to the execution. And I think it kind of proves that you don't need to reinvent the wheel a, a lot. You can just kind of present an original story with yeah. familiar tropes and do something really, really cool with it. I will say they have the advantage of they're pulling a lot of stuff that is not that was not at the time in the Western mainstream. So I would imagine to a lot of people it did feel really original. And it I mean, pop- it felt original to me, for sure. Exactly, yeah, same. It obviously isn't <laughs> original. Uh, and the, the general plot tropes that you mentioned, obviously they are very ingrained in all of storytelling. But, you know, the, at, at the time, not a huge audience for anime in the West, not a huge audience for kung fu movies. Like, obviously there's a niche for them, but... I feel both of those things are very much in the mainstream now, so they had that sort of cultural advantage in an age where the internet wasn't what it is now and everything. Yeah, I mean, I think if this movie came out now, I mean, knowing very, very little about the specifics of what they borrowed from, I'm guessing there's probably a little bit more consternation about (laughs) where these things are coming from. And the execution's great enough that I think it would both come in. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, the, the one that is constantly name-dropped as Ghost in the Shell, but having seen Ghost in the Shell a lot, there are some similarities, but like it's it's in no way like lifting, I don't think. So, I mean, do you want to go through the cast? Do you want to go through the plot? Like, what, what do you want to do with this? I think the big thing to talk about this is really uh, Keanu. Okay. Um, because, you know, Keanu was obviously a name before yes. this, but... Speed, um, thank you very much. <laughs> the, I mean, I don't think anyone will question that this is is his defining role. This is the first line of his obituary. Uh, <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, no, it's like... No, common, I understand what you yeah. mean. <laughs> this is, I mean, to me, the defining Keanu performance. And I, I think, think it captures pretty much all of his strengths as a performer, hides I, I was about all of his say, weaknesses. Yeah, I was about to say that. This, this really plays entirely into his wheelhouse. Like, they keep all of his dialogue quite short. His longest uninterrupted moment of speech is that phone call at the very end. Uh, I, I think like half of his dialogue in the first half of the movie is questions. He is confused. He's very good at being confused. He is He's extremely good at being confused. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Bill and Ted. Also I, Little Buddha. Uh, what's his death? Um, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that's where, you know, in the sequels where he's expected... You're asking him to play someone who kind of knows everything, and that isn't really his wheelhouse. I, and I think he's far more charming here as the sort of the goofball who doesn't, you know, quite get it all and is having to have it all explained, and that makes him a perfect audience stand-in because this is all, at the time, would have been considered very high-concept stuff. Yeah, I, I think he's he's truly really great. Like, there are so many jokes about, like, the acting ability of Keanu Reeves, but I feel... He's really, really good in this, and I, I think as he's as he's gotten older, he, I think he has actually become better at sort of. Well, should I don't know because you were just saying like he, he's good at sort of short sentences. I, I think he's become a calmer actor over time, and I, I actually I really like him in stuff like John Wick. But sort of the the period between kind of the Matrix and more recently is a little bit hazy. But I actually I've got quite a lot of time for young, fresh faced Keanu and. I, yeah, I would agree Neo is his 100% his defining role. He reminds me a lot of uh, Taylor Kitsch in that. <laughs> I don't mean this in a negative way at all. I think silence is a, acting in silence is a genuine skill, especially yeah. in a non-silent period of filmmaking. Yes. And, and I do honestly think he does it just as well as about anybody. I think mm. as an action star, he is able to adapt to many different action roles and be very, very believable in them and still, still remain very human in them. And, you know, I don't go quite as far in my praise for Keanu as, you know, the majority of film Twitter has adopted him as the greatest actor of all time. Second only to Vin Diesel. Well, Um, I mean, go watch the devil's advocate. (laughs) Not good when asked to speak for a considerable length of time. 
but when he's great, he's really great. I yeah. think, and this yeah. is an example of Keanu being great. Yeah. And I, it's it's really just kind of a great performance from beginning to end from him. Yeah. I think the journey he goes on. I, I will say. It, the pacing was kind of shocking this time around. It'd been mm-hmm. a, a four or five years since I'd last seen it. Yeah. Uh, this movie moves at a pretty fast clip, despite it, does. it being about two hours and 15 minutes or so. It, it does not waste time. It, it jumps from scene to scene. Like I can't, I can't believe how much ground they cover. Like when I was uh, rewinding the final, I want to rewind from the subway scene on the finish before we started today. I was like, yeah. but there's only 20 minutes left in this movie, but yeah. it's been on for two hours. Like I'm uh-huh. like, wow, they jam packed that much in and they really don't waste a lot of time. Yeah. And when that happens, sometimes a performance or a character arc can get a little lost or feel a little rushed, but it doesn't feel that way for Keanu. And I think that's a lot due to him. I think that's yeah. a lot due to him. Just his, his performance is yeah. goes from knowing nothing but questioning to, being like, what the fuck is going on? Being yeah. very uncomfortable with all this. Towards kind of just decide to go with the flow, and then you know the gradual progression to fully embracing it. And like that's a lot to go through for one character in a movie. Yeah. And I don't think Will Smith or Ewan McGregor would have been as good in that role. <laughs> or, uh, or the many other people that allegedly. <laughs> yeah, was it? I think Brad Pitt or someone else was a one yeah. considered or something. Like I think Val Kilmer, Nicolas Cage, David Duchovny. The Wachowskis really wanted Johnny Depp, but I think Keanu being... I think Keanu came in and he was just sort of like... He vibed with the kind of stuff they were pulling from, so that helped a lot. Like, you know, he's been in so many martial arts movies, and, like, I get the sense he is a spiritual person and stuff, so I think, you know, and Johnny Depp's an asshole, so there you go. And I think he has to to play a lot of different roles. He has to do a lot of different things in this movie, so that... Like, I remember sometimes it's, it'd be easy to not to be like, he's very good at being confused. I say that all the time <laughs> with Keanu. It's like, he's the perfect actor for if you need confusion. Yeah. But, uh. He's like, even yeah, better at it than Mark Wahlberg. <laughs> yeah. He's got to play a lot of different beats in this movie. Yeah. And, um. Do you know which one really stands out that is not a confusing moment? When uh, he's sparring with Morpheus and he does that That cock- was exactly what I was thinking of. The cocky like, little was, smirk. As he's... That, it was exactly that. That was the exact scene I'm thinking of. It's like, because at that point in the movie, he should be a little bit overwhelmed. But it's just that moment where it's so human, where you're starting to feel a little bit comfortable and you get a little bit high in your own shit. Yeah. <laughs> and it was so perfectly executed. And um, it's a really, really great performance. It's it probably, when you're thinking about the best lead action performances, you're, this has got to be up there. I don't know. Mm. Uh, I, I, think sure. it, I think it's one of the best lead action roles ever. Yeah. I struggle to say the character's amazing because on some levels he's kind of shallow, but I think the performance is excellent. For sure. Because, I mean, he's a giant, yeah. like, audience stand-in. He has very little unique no. to him, I would say. You know, everything is sort of set up around him to guide him along. Like, he is the special perfect cookie. Like, yes. um, they come and get him. The bad guys come for him. It's all pushed along. He's got an entire support staff. Yeah. He, and... I mean, he's got, like... It's basically, like, he's got, like, an army of personal assistants until the final <laughs> 20 minutes in the movie. Yeah. And um, I think, again, though, the fact that you can... When things are happening to a character instead of a ha- character doing things, like mm. that's usually seen as a negative in storytelling, or it's probably like asking for trouble when you're telling your story. But yeah. I think due to the performance, due to the writing, they pulled it off. He's perfectly so, likable. I mean, I think also there is like this element of like horror to this movie too, which is that like you put yourself in this scenario and it is the scariest fucking scenario possible. Like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I remember at 10 years old being, like, turning to my dad be like, Dad, is this real? Is this possible, possible, Dad? Because, like, there is that element of, no, it's not real. No, it doesn't really seem possible. But still, part of you wonders. It's no different than the cave allegory. It really isn't. It's just using modern tools. Yeah, like, part of you is just like, that, that part where it's just like, you know what? there's no way this is real, but I would have no idea if it was real. Exactly. (laughs) And I think that adds an element of terror and horror to this whole story, which makes you relate to Keanu even more being like, you you wonder, is there another shoe about to drop? Like, are we about to understand something that we didn't understand before? And I'm still, fucking nails it. And I'm still super bummed. They didn't pull at that thread. They had a really easy opportunity to pull at that thread in the second one. 
and they don't do it, but we'll talk about that next time. But even without that, like, the agents, like, it's a really, like, old trope, like, the men in black, the G-men, who are, like, you know, they're coming to get you. Like, they're really, they're really, really good. And, like, obviously, Smith has all the lines, and the other two just say maybe one each, but... I think they're super effective as as bad guys. Like they really stand out as like the dudes in suits. So they've got the handguns that like kick like a fucking mule compared to everyone else, and they just sort of they do a really good job of establishing how dangerous they are. I think yeah, it's one of the most terrifying villains I think in this movie, especially that you can have because it it, it takes a few watches I think to understand the rules of them, but <laughs> the way they could just basically pop out of nowhere. Um, well, they don't have bodies, Mike. They are just... Well, you know, yeah, okay. <laughs> the way they can just pop out of nowhere. Yeah, that was a really cool gimmick that they can yeah. be anyone. They can just take anyone over. Like, the the chase at the end when that old lady is chopping and then he runs and then suddenly the knife's in the wall and it's one of the agents has thrown the knife. I thought that was really yeah. cool. So, yeah, it's it's a really cool gimmick on top of just the fact that, you know, they can jump so far, they can smash, you know, they can do everything. And... I think they do a really effective thing with with the agents in in multiple ways. Like you see Morpheus fight Neo, and Morpheus is like effortlessly wiping the floor with Neo almost. Like he has to try a bit harder as it goes, but he is frequently just like you know again try harder, try harder. And then you see Morpheus fight Smith, and Smith kicks his fucking ass, and he looks like an he looks like a dumbass in some of that fight. Like he's just desperately trying to fight and he can't. And then, you know, Neo has that fight. And then at the very end when he's the one and he's just with one hand not even looking. It's, it's just a really effective way to establish some rules and sort of communicate how dangerous various characters are at this point. I think this movie is probably, you know, a master's class in how to use action in an action movie to tell a story. Yes. In a way that a lot of movies, the action feels relatively meaningless it's not Um, like okay we need a 20 minute set piece here and a completely separate person who's sitting in a room who doesn't give a shit about the rest of the movie just came up with some concepts for fights it's not that all of it bleeds into the rest of it it's i mean it starts off right away with the trendy chase scene and it it establishes some rules but it also i mean it teases some things but it also like establishes that one these people are fucking terrifying, and the only thing to do is to run. Yes. I, and, lo- I love but, that Morpheus says that as well. At the same time, it's like you're seeing how powerful Trinity clearly is when she hops from one building to the other. Mm-hmm. So you're like, wow, if this person can do this, and they're running, like, okay, what the fuck is going on? And saying, like, and then it, Lieutenant, your men are already dead, and how she just, you know, kicks yep. their asses so quickly. Like, the, establishing her is so dangerous immediately and, without her even doing yeah. anything and if she's that dangerous and all she can do is run how dangerous are these fuckers exactly and then just the way they just kind of gradually make every single scene every single fight scene really mean something where they establish that the only thing to do with an agent is to run so neo standing his ground is a big deal yes but you can't you can't have you're not going to have the movie end right here so you have to find a way out of it without a clear ending so he has to keep going, keep going, keep yeah, going. Yeah, and I also love that, that that establishes the futility. Like, he's like, right, I'm going to beat this agent. And, you know, he outsmarts him and gets the circumstantial win or whatever. And he's like, oh, I fucking did it. And then Smith's right back. It's like, oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> like, and you're not even fighting on the same level here. Like, this isn't even a fight. And not only that, it establishes that, like, the action is not the be-all, end-all. There is a bigger story going on here, despite the fact that the the action is really just a tool to tell that story. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's really... When you think about most action scenes in movies, and, like, they could be obviously be very kinetic and fun, and I've enjoyed plenty of them that have not told great stories, but when it's done really well like this, it's fucking great. And we need more movies aspiring (laughs) to this level of storytelling in their action. Yeah, and they also, like, where they fall down, I mean, there's many reasons they fall down going forward, but working in its favour is how much of it is kind of left just short of being fully explained or how much is not quite shown. Like, you never see Zion. We don't actually understand the true nature of the machines and the Oracle and the One and all of that. And, like, in an effort to flesh out the universe, which, you know, when you're a fan of something, that's tremendously appreciated. But it also 
kind of pulls down the curtain a bit. It, it exposes them and opens them up to some plot holes and moving of, like, changing the rules and stuff and and, and all manner of, like, plot inconsistencies and, and that kind of stuff. And they're very smart to keep it as simple as possible. Like, because, I mean, knowing all of it and when you watch this film back, there are questions that would logically pop up about, well, why this? Why not that? Uh, but in a bubble with just this film before the sequels came out, I think it all kind of pretty much makes sense and is compelling. And it's only when they were like, okay, well, let's really explain this, that they, they open themselves up to the problems. And I think, you know, it points to something really, really valuable in movies, which is you don't need to explain everything. No, you don't. And it's often better left unsaid. It's yeah. often better just I mean, take you... it at face value. Yeah, as long as it just like works in the moment in a movie like this where you don't open yourself up to having to explain it, it, it kind of makes it easier, yeah. if anything. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know nothing about the backgrounds of Morpheus and Trinity. We never find yeah. out their real names. You don't really know what Neo was doing before they came and found nope. him. Like, we know he's a... Uh, like, at nighttime, he hacks, and he's looking for Morpheus online, but that's really it. And it's just like, it really fucking moves, and it doesn't suffer from it. Yeah, I think really the only open-ended question that feels odd is, like, are these people all hackers? Like, is that how they're found? Like, how did they find people? And I think that's, like, a one question. Yeah. That's pretty much the only question that that lingers on for me here that bothers me, because it too much of the characters on screen are from The Matrix and were plugged in at one point. Yeah. And I do want to know how they were found. A lot of that information is out there in the various supplementary materials, but like, I the the impression I get is that while not every person that wakes up or whatever is a hacker, everyone that has been woken up and goes back in ends up being a hacker kind of thing. Like they they disseminate information on the internet and it ends up attracting hackers. Like Morpheus, I think Morpheus was like woken up when he was like twelve or something, and he, you know, you can't be a hacker at that age, I would imagine. And then, you know, he then became a, a notorious hacker afterwards. And I, I think Trinity was a hacker before she got woken up. And yeah, it's all a little bit vague in terms of that kind of stuff. Like my big one is like, why doesn't that machine like kill Neo when he wakes up? That's the one that's always, always bothered me when he gets flushed. Like, I know they're basically leaving him to drown, but, like, they know that the the rebels use hovercrafts and go through those sewers. So, like, wouldn't, you just, wouldn't it just be easier to break his neck and then drop him in the water? Like, that one's just... That one will never not bother me. Okay. I mean, okay, we've talked about, you know, we've talked about kind of just the action. I think the big thing is I watch this movie now, and especially on the heels of watching... Lawrence Fishburne sleepwalk through his lines in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Oh, and just like, that's a shame. And I'm just watching it being like, I've been like watching Lawrence Fishburne sleepwalk through roles now for what feels like 15 years, coincidentally. Yeah. He could have so had it last... all, man. He could have had it all. It's amazing watching this film and just thinking like, okay, in 1999, it's probably too late for Lawrence Fishburne to be the, the number one star on the planet. But how is he not, like, constantly just given amazing roles all the time? Yeah. Like, this is... He should be snatching roles from Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> this is, like, the all-time supporting action performance. Again, like, I, we would talk about this. Like, this is everything you could want. Yeah, you know, for so many times, these types of roles are given to, you know, actors who are a little bit older, like Lawrence mm-hmm. Fishburne was, compared to some of the other actors. Yeah. And, the, you know, they're doing it for the paycheck. Like, they want to add, they want to make the movie seem a little bit more prestigious than it is, where it's Alec Guinness in Star Wars, Morgan Freeman in Batman movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it's just like, let's just the actor kind of get by on their presence and their star power and their prestige and kind of just bring up the movie as a whole. Fishburne is all fucking in in this movie. Yeah. He is Morpheus. Morpheus is him. It's a spellbinding supporting performance here. You are hanging on every word that comes out of his mouth. Like, like, t- tell me more about how you scorched the sky, which yeah, is like, a nonsensical word. Just, he just draws you in to every word. The action, like, I mean, who knows how much is him, how much is not him, etc. Mm. like, whatever. But as an uh, action star, like, he sells it like nothing else. You would think that he would be one of the biggest action stars in the world based on this 
movie. Yeah, but he does. I, he does some of the most physically impressive stuff in the movie. I would say. And like I said, and some of the things are not him at times. I'm really impressed. Just the editing that they managed to pull off, like some, like inserting a stunt actor for like some scenes that seemed like they had to be him. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of them did a lot of the stunts. Yeah, like, Carrie Moss did almost all of hers. I mean, there's stuff where it feels unmistakable, like just by watching a screen, it has to be them. Like you see too much of their face. Yeah. Digital face replacement was not really a big thing. I don't think in 1999. No. Um, <laughs> We're a few so, years off making uh, Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen look younger. <laughs> yeah. So it's just to be just like, this is wow. So yeah. I, you know, that's it. I think the biggest thing was rewatching it now. It takes me back to that time period as a kid and thinking. Lawrence Fishburne was a bigger deal than he was. Same. <laughs> and I remember for a long time afterwards thinking, why isn't he a bigger deal? And it wasn't like I was really intellectualizing this. I wasn't truly processing this. I wasn't putting this to words. But I remember now this feeling that's happened then and lingered on for a while afterwards. Because it's just, you watch this and think, and he has to be one of the biggest stars on the planet. <laughs> it's just... Like he's remarkable. He's warm. He's a bit intimidating. He's mysterious. He's not like too stern, but he's also a badass. Like he's not just like the like withered old man who's just preaching to the younger dude or whatever. Like he's he's fucking great. And like he talked about, I think of the people who got this script, he was like really enthusiastic, and he said he got it all straight away. And like you can kind of tell that like he just he just seems really comfortable in doing it all because you can tell when. You get, as you said, these these older actors when they get these roles and just they just sound. You could see the cue cards with the lines off screen. Right? Yeah, like, like and I'm not you, saying they don't memorize the lines. I'm just saying it doesn't feel. Like it just feels sad as you watch them yes. stumble through sci-fi mumbo jumbo. But like he, it's it's all like gospel truth coming from him. And it's it's so important for this role because he's playing the true believer. Yes, which is an exceptionally hard role to play and it still remain human and sympathetic and not like potential object for derision yeah which they they do play into you know when they open it up to other Zion characters and they actually they cut a plot line from this first film where he essentially got five people killed that he were he was convinced were the one before neo and he got them killed fighting agents and i think that would have been a really cool beat to play into that like you know he is yeah. he is completely obsessed with with this mission of his. Like this is his calling, um, yeah. as and given I, to him by the Oracle. And I would say if there's, I mean, we could probably. I think probably the discussion, the themes of the Matrix are probably best suited for the after revolutions when we have more a complete picture of the Wachowski's vision. Well, yes, but, they will just say it out loud for ten un- uninterrupted yes. minutes. Fair enough, but. For this part, he this character had to be a true believer, and man, Fishburne believed. Yeah, he, he believed. It felt like he believed every single word that he was saying, and that was so. And it was more than that. It wasn't that belief. It was for him. It was knowledge, and yeah. wow, yeah, just just a stunning supporting performance. The heartbreak on his face when Neo dies at the end is yeah. just that I shot mean, the, of the shot of, of Tank. Yeah. And the exact one just being fucking we're fucked stunned into silence of being like with the sentinels like behind them and they're just like yeah we're fucked it is you know it's one of those shots that it's it's probably the number one shot that makes you pissed off that tank is not in the sequels just because clearly there was a a huge character there Mm, with a great journey to go on what a gentle boy like an innocent guy yeah just and I think I think there was a lot there, and I think well, I think he, that he, shot revealed there's a lot more than just charm and funny. Yeah, he wanted more money, and he argued with them a lot, so off he went. <laughs> just I I can't say enough great things for for Fishburne here, yeah. and the, the crazy part is once again. One of the all-time great female action performances, probably. Like like she is like, she is such a badass. Like it's so funny that we. I mean, Grace is obviously the lead in the movie, and that does make a tremendous amount of difference. But a Trinity is often forgotten when we talk about great female action stars. And she, this is amazing. It's an amazing physical performance. It's an amazing human performance. Yeah. And I think I feel like The Matrix is forgotten because so many of these things should be coming up in the conversations, uh, you know, about like action stars. And also, remember, like, it's just a tremendous physical performance from her. 
Yeah. And it, I just can't say enough good things about it. Talk about Trinity while I gather my thoughts. <laughs> I think they give her one of the the absolute hardest plot lines to pull off for a female actor for a female actor that there is in the whole like you know love saves all like i know you're the one because i love you and all that it's so hard to pull that off and not be like corny as fuck and i think she makes it work and i don't know if it's it goes hand in hand and like earning it through all the physical stuff she does before that and how like strong-willed she is and like i love things like her telling Neo off and, and, and stuff, you know, like, I believe you can go to hell, like, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think it's just such a multifaceted role where, like, she just oozes, like, badassery and independence and all of this good stuff without losing femininity. Like, you know, she 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 shows up in that club in that dress and it's like, you know, she's not an androgynous character, like, which you you could be led to believe she might be in the opening scenes. And, like, you know, she 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 has all of that about her, and she has good chemistry with everyone. And, yeah, it, it's it's fucking great. Like, she's a badass, and she plays all these other these other roles as well. Like, they, they asked these lead three actors to wear a lot of hats, and I think they all wore the fuck out of them all. I do feel like Trinity loving Neo mm. feels a little bit soon. It yes. does feel a little bit soon. And I think on a rewatch, that's one of the things that does not hold up well. well it feels mm. it's not quite as bad as like the 1933 King Kong, where two people declare their love for each other after being on a boat for five minutes. Oh, well, but, like fucking every Bond movie. <laughs> but what I do think helps to make up for it, though, is that clearly she is pretty haunted by what the Oracle said. Yes, and I think you can read a lot into once again, you know, talking about themes or maybe you want to use a metaphor but you know women feeling restricted in their choices and not feeling like they have agency over their lives Mm. and it very much feels like she's choosing this in a way that it just feels like she's choosing it it feels like she's choosing it at the end well yeah exactly because he's not the one until she says that yes it's not that like this man is the one and you will love him it's he is the one because you love him right yeah I think that's and, an important like, distinction. Obviously, there's some like eye roll inducing elements of that. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And like the kid, the kiss revives him, and all this kind yeah. of stuff. But this is also a pretty hokey movie when you think about it. Like the themes sure of this other are pretty hokey. It's all about the chosen one. It's all about belief and faith. And quite frankly, none of these things I really relate to or connect with <laughs> on any personal level. Sure, but. They, Us they existential nihilists have nothing to work with here. I also, it's... I mean, they do throw you that, like, like Cypher does say at the beginning, she's been watching Neo for a while. It's not like they... I know they just met, but you get the impression that, you know, she has formed a picture of who he is before they have even met. And he knows her by reputation and stuff like that. And because she is his first contact to bring him into that world and everything. I, I do think, while it is obviously first, because every... You know, so many movies go from zero to love in 90 minutes, so it's always a bit problematic. But they do throw you those bones that that imply that there is some kind of relationship that pre-exists the narrative. And I think also she's clearly resisting the idea of falling in love with him. She feels that pressure to. Yes. And I really think it's his choices that eventually bring it on. Yeah, like his, so... his actions trying to save Morpheus and stuff, I think. Make yeah. Because st- he could easily have just been like, oh, shit, yeah, well, we got to pull the plug. And, and his, I, think... His, I think his rejection of being the one helps a great deal. And that's the entire point. Like, like yeah. they say how the Oracle tells you what you need to hear. Telling him he's, he's not the one makes him feel such tremendous guilt that Morpheus is going to die believing he's the one that it allows him to do things that make him the one. So yeah. it all works really well there, I think. And yeah, it like you, I can imagine that the, the you know there probably is some room for for some storytelling there between like friction between Trinity and Morpheus where like she has been told you you know you will meet a man and fall in love and he will be the one and Morpheus's whole thing is finding the one so he's basically I mean he says that you know what she told you is for you and you alone so he presumably doesn't know this but there is kind of this element of like he's sort of putting potential suitors in front of her and she kind of has to size them up and like. Yeah, I can, I can see how there could be some storytelling to do there, but I mean, this movie's the, already I mean, the movie fuck, very so. much limits its scope. This is about Neo. It's told from Neo's perspective. Yes. 
it's not not exclusively, but very few scenes are not from his perspective, and yes. it's probably a necessary decision for this movie to flow well. And you know, I think perspective and flow are things we are definitely going to be talking about when talking about the other films. Mm. That's kind of an effective tease for. <laughs> I think it, it's going to be hard not to compare this film to the next two films because they are very different in mm. cohesiveness and yes. <laughs> things like that. Yes. Um, As a chance, this is the film I've seen more than any other film. Like, I, I, I would say I've seen it bordering on 50 fucking times, which is crazy. Wow. Yeah, like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I had it on VHS and, like, I had no fucking money. So I just watched the same few things I had recorded on VHS over and over. And it's on TV here all the time. I'm sure it's on TV in America a lot. But yeah, I feel like it's on TV here constantly as well. So I've, I may not have seen it start to finish 50 times, but I feel I have, I have viewed large chunks of it around 50 times. I, I quickly probably should touch on the rest of the cast, even though they're not going to be as nearly important. Um, oh, my son of dead. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hugo Weaving delivers a very wonderful, excellent. mostly two di- two-dimensional performance. But it's excellent, though. I think, like, I think it, yes. it's on purpose. Like, I think he yeah. completely nails it. Like, he gives it a kind of dry humor, and I think his little speech about you know how he hates it in the Matrix is actually really good. And doing stuff like having him be the only one who shows his eyes and stuff like that, I think is is all good stuff. I think that's a really great moment in this moment. And my memory is the payoff to all that is very weird and less satisfying. So <laughs> yeah. it's almost like it's retroactively hurt right now. But yeah. <laughs> I I do want to give. I mean, I really I've only seen Revolutions once. Really, I, I don't really remember much about it. Wow. So that'll be a very fresh take. See, I've seen the sequels a whole bunch of times as well. Like, there's no question I've seen this franchise more than anything else. <laughs> yeah. So. I, I, I do, that's probably one of the things I'm most curious about through rewatch, because I remember being very, very like, what? <laughs> Later on. But uh, everybody else, Gloria Foster is the only other cast member, I believe, to appear in a future film as the Oracle. Uh, or I guess maybe the Spoon Boy, maybe. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. But, <laughs> I forgot uh, about him. I think, the, no, there's new agents as well. Yeah, you're right. I think that I think all the agents are new. I'm they not are. positive about that. They've all they're all, all they've all got different names. Like they go yeah. from Smith, Jones, Brown to like Jackson, Johnson, like Thompson. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> but um, you know, she has a small scene as the Oracle. Mm-hmm. I she, mean, she's good. Like, she's and good. That's another it's example. Not character, of, but it's good. <laughs> it's another example of how when they open it up to explain what how she actually works, it completely fucks it. Because when you just watch that movie, it's like, oh, yeah, she's just a wise old lady who, who can tell the future. And it's like, when you learn what she really is and how she's, like, actually working against our heroes, but also with them, it's like, mm, what? <laughs> uh, but, and again, something I don't even remember. There um, you go, then. Oh man, am so, I just gonna have to explain the Matrix to you, Mike? Because that's a heavy amount of pressure to put on me. I mean, I barely understand. It. My memory—I mean, we'll talk about this more next week. But yes. my memory of Reload is being like that final scene is pretty easy to understand. I don't understand why everyone was flipping out about it. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Um, everybody else, we pretty go pretty through quickly. Uh, Joe Pantoliano playing Joe Pantoliano, uh, very nice. <laughs> what a dumbass! They were never gonna honor that deal. Yeah, yeah, zero percent. He's a he's a really good actor. Yes, does not get nearly enough work in no. things we ever see. But no. uh, you know, really good here in a role that he was obviously going to be the villain in the entire time, just yeah. based on the, the fact go- that it was Joe Pantoliano and he looked evil as fuck. Bold goatee, evil. <laughs> yeah, I really liked Dozer, Apoc, and Switch. Yeah, I don't know why. They're, they're, just, they're just good. They felt- I like that everyone's got kind of a role, even though. They don't do a huge amount. You can just they, sort of tell what they're all. They from. all have lines. Yes. Apox. Apox has a couple of lines that very much brings out the human in him. Mm-hmm. You know, the I, I hope the Oracle gave you good news. Yeah. <laughs> and even just that really desperate, tough plea of Trinity when he knows that he's about to die yeah. is really, really heartbreaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, he, I when I was watching this, 
I don't know why this never occurred to me until the most recent rewatch. I guess I haven't seen it in a couple of years or something, but I was watching it and I thought, and it was when I was watching Switch that I had this idea. I was like, if they had made this movie today, knowing the projects they will go on to make, knowing what will happen with their personal lives, 100% there would have been a character that was one gender in the Matrix and another in the real world. And then when doing some background reading for this episode, guess what Switch's gimmick was going to be in the first draft? Uh, she was going to be female in the Matrix and male in the real world. So I, oh, interesting. I put it together there. But yeah, I mean, when you consider how like this whole movie is arguably a metaphor for you know being trans, it's like, well, there you go. But yeah, uh, she certainly dresses androgynously. And I always thought it was odd that she wears white when everyone else has to wear black all the time but I guess that's too that's sort of left over from making her stand out from everyone else but yeah I, I do like like all these seemingly useless crew members like, I think just like you said like they, they give them that humanity they're not completely redshirted that's what I'd say no they're, they're not. not completely redshirted they feel like human beings yeah. it feels like there's more it feels like there was potential for a much more ensemble based story yeah. that obviously is cut short or the plug is pulled on it. So it's <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, actually I did find mouse pretty irritating. Yeah. Uh, you yeah. know, he died as we all can hope to die one day, but uh, <laughs> with a minigun in each hand. Yeah. And uh, just yeah. killing as many Nazis as possible. Yes. Um, yes, yes, yes. With his, but, you know, uh, his little digital pimp thing. <laughs> yeah. Dozer and, like, I don't know. I, I, I didn't. I thought he and Tank probably deserved a little bit better. They probably deserved a scene together at all. But yeah. uh, you know. Anything to show their brothers. <laughs> Beyond just yeah. someone saying, brothers. Yes. But, uh, Despite yeah, I one mean, of them being, quite clearly, a slightly different ethnicity. Never mind. Well, Matthew. I, I want to know more about them. That's what I'd say. And yeah. I think in some ways that that's probably the most effective use of them for the purposes of making one movie. Yeah. Is that you got attached enough to them that their deaths that you go, oh, yeah. and, uh, you know, what more can you really want for, from yeah. a movie? I mean, like, I think... Like, would it work if it was, like, the weekly adventures of the crew of the Nebuchadnezzar? Probably not, but, like, you kind of want to see it, even though it's best yeah. that you don't, so I guess that's... You want to read some shitty, like, novels, yes. like the Star Wars <laughs> novels, that, I, I do you know... not want to read the Star Wars novels. <laughs> oh, I do read the Star Wars novels. Oh, okay. And you want to read? You want to read the Matrix novels? You want to know yeah. what's going on there day to day yeah. in there? Uh, what's happening between the movies, so to speak? Well, maybe the yeah, Animatrix but... will, will answer all these questions for us. I've only seen half of it, so. But yeah, the Matrix. That was a very weird topic to end the conversation on. But uh, yeah, Matrix is fucking great. Everyone. It's fucking great, man. When he bends over backwards, when she jumps in the air, like, oh man, such good stuff, and. Uh, Chase scenes. Chase scenes should there should be more chase scenes in movies. I feel the chase scene has become a lost art. Yeah. Everything they do is pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of movies that clearly I mean, I think the action was in, influenced a lot of movies. I think in terms of like ambition though and desire to do something that at least felt unique, I can really only think of like Inception. Yeah. And nothing else on this type of scale has really felt unique no. since. And Inception is definitely not The Matrix. Yeah. Uh, despite, you know, enjoying the movie. Um, I mean, Worlds Within Worlds and all that sort of stuff. And I don't know, like, feels... the, the way they enter, like, in their full outfit with all their weapons. I don't know, that felt a bit of a nod. But I, yeah, I, I, I have nothing to, like, fully substantially base this on. But it occurred to me maybe this... If it didn't, like, create it, I think it certainly popularized the concept of, like, taking actors who are not known for action movies and, like, having them do extensive pre-production, like, training regimens and, like, having them learn, like, martial arts and stuff instead of just doing it all with trickery. Because I feel every movie these days, they hire a fight choreographer who works with this actor for, like, four months before they start shooting. And I'm sure there are movies that did it before this, and I, I, but... It certainly well, feels. What I'll like... say is, like, go and watch like something like like Clear and Present Danger, or like your typical Harrison Ford action movie in like the <laughs> early '90s, and it does not feel like any stunt coordinators worked with anybody. No, uh, like it feels like human beings just like doing it. And I I think that can sometimes be 
I think certain movies are more appropriate for that style of action, where it's just like, hey, these are two dudes fighting, yeah. and not yeah. everyone is a master fighter in every movie. No. That being but, said, I feel Keanu Reeves has spent 20 years genuinely acquiring the skills it would take to kill us all. Uh, <laughs> movies like The Matrix, it's far more appropriate for it to feel like, oh, these guys could kill us. Yes. And um, it, I, def- I definitely do take for granted that now I, I just assume every action movie is going to have people heavily trained in yeah. this type of way. I just remember seeing all of the, like, behind-the-scenes and, like, documentary-type footage that came out around the time of The Matrix that was, like... Yeah, they, like, really, really fucking kicked our asses for, like, months. And, like, the fun- the the fight coordinator basically saying they're not, like, in good enough shape. And it's, like, I doubt any of these people were, like, out of shape. So just the extreme requirements that were put upon them, I feel a lot of that... I, again, I don't know if that if this led to that being a thing in like every fucking movie, but it feels like certainly it contributed to it. And like more generally, like wire foo and that kind of stuff, like wire based stunts, you started seeing that a shit ton after this movie, like in X Men and and all sorts of other stuff that came out in the sort of couple of years afterwards. And and wire work certainly seems like it came from this. And like you could even argue that things like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and stuff like that came about or were influenced by the matrix or like they gained an audience that they probably wouldn't I have think had more specifically audiences were more prepared to yeah be down with them so i mean exactly. tiger came out a year later sure 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 it was but, uh, it was actually probably made before this movie so probably yeah sorry i was poorly phrased i just mean like it i think it opened up people to this kind of stuff they were like oh that's cool i want to see more things like that um, yeah i think high-end action movies probably became a little bit more in vogue after this yeah. and uh let's just end on that okay. ambiguous comment that we cannot back up or <laughs> yeah. substantiate at all yeah let's end it there so this has been the sky scorchers episode one matt loves the name i love it you can tell i will have a logo made up with a black and green color scheme immediately next time we'll be talking about the matrix reloaded and yeah get ready for me to have surprisingly positive thoughts obviously no one near as good as the matrix but yeah we'll we'll have fun with that debate next time after that will be revolutions and then uh yeah the animatrix and maybe just general yeah just the 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 general phenomenon that was the matrix so yes enter the real world.com mike and matt on soundcloud check out all of the great stuff from broadcast depth covering lost Countdown to Destruction, covering the leftovers. Maybe Michael write things. Who knows if he ever has the time ever again. Maybe. Maybe. That's that long pause and a maybe is how we're going to end this podcast. Goodbye, everyone. Mm-hmm.